But I remember meeting up after a few months with my old boss and he said, you know, being a PI is the loneliest job in the world. And that stayed with me because suddenly you've got lots of people looking at you for the answers and you don't always have them. Hi, everyone. A big welcome back to the third season of the Elevator podcast, which highlights positive female role models to empower and inspire you to achieve your full potential. For the second episode of this season, we are joined by Professor Claire Lloyd, Welcome Senior Fellow in Basic Biomedical Sciences, Professor of Respiratory Immunology, Head of the Division of Respiratory Sciences at the National Health and Lung Institute, and Vice Dean for Institutional Affairs in the Faculty of Medicine at Imperial College London. After obtaining her Bachelor's and PhD in Immunology at King's College London, Claire undertook a postdoc at the Guy's Hospital in London and Harvard in Boston. She then moved to a biotech company in the USA for a while before returning back to the UK to take up a Welcome Senior Fellowship and to start her own lab. Claire Research now focuses on the mechanisms underlying the pulmonary immune response to inhaled allergens and pathogens. In today's episode, we discuss Claire's journey as a scientist, the insights into running your own lab, as well as the importance of being open to suggestions and why research is not linear. Amazing. So we're live. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hi, Claire. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on here today. Before we dive into your work and role, would you mind giving our listeners some background about yourself? Yeah, so I'm Claire Lloyd. I'm um, a respiratory immunologist. So I study how the immune system regulates uh, immunity and health in our lungs. I've been Imperial College for a very long time. I I originally uh, did a degree in immunology at King's College in London and I did my initial postdoc and then I went to the state and worked as a postdoc at Harvard Medical School looking at chemokines, so looking at molecules which promote recruitment of cells to tissues. And then I spent, um, I moved with the PI, so my boss uh, moved to a biotech company and so I worked in the biotech company with him for three years, which was a huge eye-opener very different um, area to academia. It was a very dynamic biotech company um, in Cambridge and Massachusetts. And then um, then I came back to Imperial with a Welcome Senior Fellowship and set up my own lab. And I've been there ever since. And five years ago, I I took a new job on. In addition to my lab role, I'm the Vice Dean for Institutional Affairs in the Faculty of Medicine, where it's an odd title, but um, it it basically means I'm responsible for diversity, uh, culture and career development, all of which subjects close to my heart. And so I have this kind of two, two, a dual role within the National Heart and Lung Institute and then also in the Faculty of Medicine Central. Awesome. That brings them so many questions. I'm sure we're going to have the opportunity to dive into that more. But first, I want to know, what got you interested in this field? Well, immunology, I think I fell into it as a degree course. I guess I didn't really know what it was. I always knew I wanted to do science. And I guess the honest answer is I didn't get into I missed I missed the points that I needed to get into the course that I wanted to do by one. And so I was offered a place to do immunology and thought that sounds quite cool. And then actually, when I got to King's, 
the first couple of years our general biomedical sciences so we did a whole mixture of things and then specialized in immunology and realized I really liked it I knew I wanted to do science but I didn't I never thought I would have a career in research and it was only in my final year where I did my lab-based project and then I realized that research is actually really different from doing lab practicals and lab practicals were fine but I didn't love them and so I never thought that I would work in a lab full-time but then I, I did actually did a did my project in a, in a hospital and I worked with a, a clinical fellow from Australia who was who was looking at, at rejection reactions in kidney transplant patients and I really enjoyed I suppose the freedom in my in my six-month project I established ELISA for looking at rejection reactions which was you know very cool and it just it made me think actually yeah I really want to do a PhD so then I I, I started applying for PhDs but it was never part of a grand plan it was I kind of fell into it which I think sums up most of my career actually there's no planning not the advice I give much to my students <laughs> It sounds amazing, though. <laughs> Happy to hear that everything kind of fall into places. Um, mm -hmm. It sounds great. <laughs> yeah. So I think that the you know the PhD that I was offered again was on on malaria. I worked on on um, autoimmunity and malaria and kidney disease uh, it, again at King's, and it was quite successful. But it was quite a small lab, and I, I didn't. And then my supervisor left halfway through, which was quite difficult. But and so now when I, as, as somebody who's running a lab, I think, gosh, that, that would be awful for the students. Um, and I think then there was less, far less support for, for students and getting them through. But, you know, that I, somebody else took me on. And, and you know, I, and then by the time she'd left, I had quite a clear idea of what I wanted to do. So I actually made sure that I changed the project to cellular immunity rather than working on, on antibodies, which was the actual project. So I could actually drive it in the, in the direction that I wanted, which, which was I guess pretty useful because I didn't have to have a fight with my supervisor about the direction of the project. So when students come to me and say I want to work on X, I think, well, you know, do you though? Because you know, I started in autoantibodies in malaria infections, and then now I work on, you know, generally lung remodeling and 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 type two immunity and and asthma patients. So I think you you kind of find your your way, what you like doing, and. Um, being open to suggestions is a really, is a, well, being open to changes is really good. That is already very inspiring and a great advice. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. So what you mentioned was that, so you went for postdoc to Harvard then a couple of years ago. So then what led this decision? Um, Again, it's, it's, I think that my partner at the time, you know, we want to live in America. It's quite easy to get a visa to go to America. So I wrote to people whose who's work I liked and and who I'd been to, I'd listened to. So I'd listened to talks. And so I actually went to go to somebody in Boston University in Massachusetts. And he was willing to take me on and it sounded like a really interesting project. And then it took a while to get a visa and you know, by the time I actually got there, he told me he was going to um, he was going to go on sabbatical for six months or a year, and so I could go to any any of these other labs that he collaborated with. And I ended up I chose the one on chemokines because I thought it sounded like a good project, and I'd done a bit of work on on cell recruitment, and I wanted to learn more. So I went to this lab at Harvard, and I stayed there, and I ended up working for that person pretty full time for nearly five years. So again, that wasn't planned, um, but it worked out. You know, it was. And on the face of it, it was kind of a bit of a disaster, you know, going there and planning to go somewhere and then it all changed, um, not having a PI. But actually it worked out and it was, I think that was 
real eye-opener to me. I worked in a really big, busy lab, very, very productive, very competitive. It was completely different to the lab that I've been in in England. Harvard's a very special place, particularly as a postdoc. It, it can be quite brutal. So I learned a lot about how I wanted to run a lab and how and the kind of environment that I thought would make people productive because I think looking at other labs in the in the on the floor in the department you know I thought I wouldn't I wouldn't like to be in that environment my lab was was 10 postdocs all working super hard all foreign actually which is great because I was foreign and yeah I was lucky my lab my my project worked out and I learned a lot and then I started collaborating with somebody who wanted my experience in pathology I'd done a lot of pathology in the UK because there was no one to cut my sections and stain them so I learned how to do it and they they really needed that for their project so we collaborated and it was a project looking at a molecule they just cloned which recruited eosinophils um, to the asthmatic lung and they didn't know how to look at them in sections. So I did that. And then I ended up being so interested in that. I've worked on lungs and type 2 immunity ever since. I completely switched from malaria and, and kidney disease and went to work in the lung. That was in, you know, 20 years ago and I've stayed in the lung. That's awesome. But I feel like sometimes in life you just have to follow whatever is offered to you. And yeah. I think it was great that you were open-minded enough to just accept whatever came to you and not being like just trying to focus on the path that you thought was right and just following whatever was yeah was there so I think that's that's been inspiring yeah there was I I I mean I had five projects not all of them worked out um and I think as a postdoc that's I always I always think now that you know and I guess your students but you know being a postdoc was just the best time in that you get to you don't have the kind of the, the thesis looming over you, you're, you're confident enough to know that technically you kind of know what you're doing, you know, how to learn things, you can find out things, you have a certain amount of knowledge that maybe other people want, so it's kind of nice to share knowledge. And I guess the ethos in the lab was, you know, these are all interesting projects, you know, everyone jump in and, and, and drive them. And that's, you know, if it's interesting, then take it and run with it. And the PI was really He's just like, yeah, if you're interested in that, that's fine. You know, go with it. You know, he got some good papers out of it. But also it made me think, yeah, that's that's I liked that. I really liked that. And I think before that experience, I wasn't in love with being with being a scientist. Um, but afterwards, I thought, yeah, this is what I want to do. And so it took me quite a long time, I think. But yeah, that, I think it was inspirational. What were the things you then learned during your experiences about starting your own lab, for example? When I left my left Boston and and came to to the UK, you know, I was I was on on my own and that yeah, I had you know had money, which was great, and a, and a kind of prestigious fellowship, which is good. So you, you get a certain amount of protection with that because you've got your own money. But I remember meeting up after a few months with my old boss, and he said, you know, being a PI is the loneliest job in the world. And I just thought, oh, that's odd. And then, then afterwards, and that stayed with me because I think it is really lonely because suddenly you've got lots of people looking at you for the answers, and you don't always have them. And um, you've got to make decisions about, you know, the direction of the project. And you can have you can have ideas, but you're never quite 100% sure are they good. You know, will it work? And I think as you get more confident and more more experienced, then you realize that actually, you know, not everything's going to work, not everything's a great idea, but it's knowing how far to take something before you give up. 
know, because I think research is never linear. You're always sort of going in lots of twisty directions. And I think that's something that often people you know, struggle with, that they think, OK, well, I don't know what to do. Well, my PI knows because she's in charge. But you think, I don't I don't know. You know, we're doing this. I, I had that conversation very recently with a student who saying, well, you know, there is no right answer. We'll do the experiment. You know, maybe we'll find something what you expected, but maybe we won't. And then we just have to look at it and discuss it, seek advice, read the literature. And it is, it's an iterative process. But I think fear of failure is very, is very hard. <laughs> but I think one thing is, is hiring good people that you trust and that you can get on with. Having a good team that is supportive um, and having a good atmosphere in the lab is absolutely crucial. I think that's something that you don't realise until sometimes when it hasn't quite worked, that you realise having a really good team of people who who support each other and, you know, help each other, but also inspire each other. So they have a good time, you know, you know, working in a lab's fun. And so I think that's something that that we, we need to, as a PI, you need to make sure that the, the, the people understand that it's not a competition with each other. I wish I'd known more about finance and, and sort of how the university worked. I really struggled with that and I'm not sure that, that you know I, I know a bit more now but I think in the first five years that was really hard. Yeah that's super interesting that led, leads me quite well to my next question which was because you mentioned when you were doing a postdoc in Harvard you realized how if you were going to lead your lab how you wanted to lead it mm -hmm. so maybe if you can tell us a bit more about what's your leadership style like and how you like to lead um, the people you lead. <laughs> Ask Micah. Um, no, I think um, <laughs> I mean, obviously I've got quite a big group now, and that's the worry is you don't have enough time for everybody. But uh, one thing is that I've got a really good team in terms of that there's structure, so the postdocs know that it's part of their responsibility to in help the students. That helps their career development because they get some kind of management um, experience, but also that you know that. Certainly when everyone starts and I would tell them that it's I want them to do their best. Obviously, you know, that, that that things might not always work out, but we can always discuss that. They shouldn't be afraid of making mistakes and admitting they've made mistakes because, you know, everyone does that. And I would much prefer if someone's upset or actually I forgot that or I've made a dilution error. Or, I mean, we've all been there. So it's it's important that everyone's opinion is always important um, because one thing you look around the lab meeting, which is quite, quite big, we've got a huge, diverse array of experience. And OK, you might have master students, PhD students, and then you've got, you know, senior lecturers or, you know, people with more experience. But everyone's got different experiences. And I think it's that mixture of experience that, you know, gives people a flavour of, I guess, having a, having a different uh, view on the problem. I always think if you ask five scientists, how to do something they'll all tell you a different way nothing will be wrong it won't be wrong but they'll all give you a different view and I think to me it's been fantastic having particularly my clinical colleagues who you know we, we have lots of very collaborative projects which are really driven by both of us and I think incredibly important to me to have people from different backgrounds and different countries has been fantastic because everybody gets training in different in a different way and I've always been really pleased that we've had a very diverse group and that really feeds in. So we want people to be confident to, to talk and to ask questions, you know, no matter. It's not that it's just me asking questions because I'm the PI. It should be, you know, the BSc student or the master student. And 
you know, they, they need to, to, to get confident to be able to ask questions, but I don't think there's any such thing as a stupid question. It's, you know, it, all questions are valid. So I guess that's the answer, very long-winded answer, I think. <laughs> no, it was, it was great. And I mean, I'm very happy to hear, you know, that you support all of these. And I mean, just from, you know, like my perspective, it's always, it's, it's always so difficult to ask questions. I mean, as you said, like you want to support everyone to be able to ask, ask questions, for example, in group meetings and things like that. And I mean, it's definitely something I know students always work on it. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, the more comfortable you get, the more confident you get, the easier it is definitely to ask questions. <laughs> I mean, I think to be briefly frank, I really struggle with it. So I think personally, and everyone's got different personalities and, and very often, you know, particularly it's interesting being at Imperial, which breeds a certain kinds of student. They're very confident, you know, medical students are super confident. I think, you know, compared to the sort of science students, maybe because they have, we have less opportunities is maybe we don't have the kind of heart or, or culture where you're asking questions the whole time. But I think certainly when I was, a student or a postdoc, I was always terrified about asking questions in a mixed group because I wasn't sure that, you know, whether my question would be was was good or but what you when you realize, okay, you have a formulated question in your mind. It's quite interesting. If you do this at meetings, you know, you think when someone's talking, you think, okay, ask this question. If you don't ask it, guaranteed that someone else will ask that question. And I think that makes you think, okay, it wasn't a stupid question then. And so we want to make sure that in lab meeting, you know, in, in, in meeting where you know everybody, even if it is a kind of stupid question, then that's fine because they're your friends, they're your colleagues. And then, you know, we have a slightly more formal sort of departmental meeting where you can, maybe you don't know the people, but then it's a good time to ask a question. So that by the time you ask a question in a kind of national meeting, then it's okay. Um, you're used to it. And so I think if you, the worst thing is, I think is to give a talk and no one asks you a question. Yeah, it is very difficult. And uh, yeah, I mean, we've not presented so much obviously as other people, but I mean, I've, notice as well Selena when you know when we presented it the last times it was yeah. not too many questions which was a bit sad um mm -hmm. so yeah we definitely mm -hmm. of course yeah. we're happy for any questions but yeah it's always both ways around yeah, yeah also people tend to just ask questions about what they know that's yeah. what I've realized so like when Micah presented and I presented I think people knew more about whatever I was presenting but less maybe about Micah's project <laughs> so Micah got organ a on a chip. Yeah. yeah, it's always the organ on a chip. They people they they don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> they like it, but they don't know what to ask about it because they yeah. don't have too much background knowledge yet. Uh, it's quite intimidating, I think, because again, they don't feel comfortable. I think you're completely right. It's, you know, if you're you feel comfortable with you know the uh, interpreting the answer, maybe, or that you know that's a that's a valid question, but. I could argue that, you know, that it's, it's a great opportunity for you to explain more if you don't. Um, and some of the, you know, that's the other thing is listening to, you know, people who you admire, the science you admire, how they ask questions. That's always quite a good thing. I think as I would always say to postdocs, I didn't get any training as a postdoc, but now I would think, well, that's what that's what I would tell my postdocs is to some some are great at it, but others who I noticed don't ask so many questions and I would talk to them a bit and say, well, you know, maybe just before, you know, if you're going to listen to a talk, then maybe read a paper, one of the speaker's papers. So you've got to, got something already ready before you. And we try and get our postdocs to chair our our speakers, um, our lab meetings so that they can 
get it because they're used to asking questions and chairing a session. So I think that's that's good as a postdoc. I like that. Also, it's nice that you're supportive of thinking about this as well. I'm, I've got challenged by, so I have a mentor. Um, and I've got challenged by my mentor mm -hmm. during some meetings to then ask questions. <laughs> so yeah. I'm also working on that myself. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, I'm, the other thing is that it's, it, everybody feels like that. That's the thing. I mean, not everybody, but, you know, I think that, that um, so a, a lot of people do and a lot of people feel intimidated in that. And I think that's some way that you're taking it seriously um, and you're you know, thoughtful. But it's just I think it's sort of standing up and going to, you know, going to a microphone is, is quite intimidating. If you can put your hand up or on Teams, then I think or Zoom, then sometimes if you can type the question in the chat or at least put your hand up, you know, and, and then it's it's a, it's a good introduction to sort of and if it starts a good discussion, then you feel like, OK, that was good. And then you feel feel good. So I think it's maybe a, a good way to start is online so that then by the time you get to be in a real meeting with real people, <laughs> then you won't feel so intimidated, maybe, because you've done it before. <laughs> That's a really good suggestion. Yeah, that's true. Thank you. What I was wondering, so you've started your own group and mm -hmm. it's been some years. So would you mind telling us about how a day usually looks like for you? <laughs> Well, I think that's one of the good things about science is no two days are the same. <laughs> I mean, at the moment they seem are because I just sit in front of my computer and um, and have Teams meetings all day. You know, generally like that aspect of my my job is that it, every day is different, and I'm not and it used to be you know when we were not online all the time, then I would be in lots of different places, so different campuses. I travel a lot, giving talks or visiting other universities, and I, I think that 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 was it was a really good aspect of the job, but I think. Um, most of the most of the days is, is is meeting students so i still um i see i meet all of my phd students every week or every other week and then postdocs um every couple of weeks then i have uh, either lab meeting or group meeting with a whole when we have a much more sort of in-depth discussion about a particular project but then i spend a lot of time um in the sort of faculty meeting so those are more concerned with the faculty strategy how how faculties run I guess my role within that team is I'm part of the faculty senior leadership team and part of that is making sure that um, we're thinking about uh, issues such as you know the diversity of our staff and our students we're looking at, at, at career development our aim is that everybody feels that they can develop their career and they've got a framework and a structure to do that and then um, and equally you know in meeting in in college meetings that the information comes down to the faculties so then I report back to the rest of my colleagues on on what what's happened at the college meeting so that that takes up quite a lot of um, my time actually yeah I was going to say that sounds really busy and I remember because we had Dr Joanna Jackson on the podcast oh, yeah. as well she said her boss told her to put up some time in her timetable so that she can sit down and think about science Mm -hmm. and what she wants to do because actually leading her own team is just mm -hmm. made up of admin all day and she actually doesn't yeah. really have the time to do science what how is that for you like do you miss the the practical aspect of science do you miss being in the lab yeah i mean i think that's, that's one of the saddest things of, of of being a scientist that you get once you're, you're good or you know you're being successful and then you get promoted out of the job if you like in that i'm an administrator and and so i don't do any any lab work at all and i think if 
when I walk in the lab, everyone's immediately terrified or, you know, they think, oh, you know, that, that, that something's wrong. Um, but I really liked, I liked, you know, being in the lab because it, I think at the end of the day, when you've done an experiment, at least you've generated something, you've got a graph or a, a picture or, you know, it's a sense of satisfaction that with my job, the finishing is, 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 is it feels like never sometimes. And I think that even I really enjoy the kind of, you know, the management and, and particularly the sort of faculty role, but it wouldn't mean anything without the research. And so I think if I didn't have the, the research, that that's the, that's the driver because um, I'm still really interested in science. And, and, and at the moment now, it's the interpretation of the data that, that the rest of the lab bring to me and thinking about what we can do next. Obviously, it's my role to provide enough money. I really want to make sure that they're not limited in terms of you know, what they want to do because we don't have the right equipment. Or So earning, you know, raising money is really difficult. And I spend a lot of time helping other people raise money, sort of advising them, feeding, feeding back. But I, yeah, I really do miss um, lab work. I, but I haven't been in the lab for a very long time. As soon as I had kids, it was just I found that it was really difficult to be to to run the lab and be at home and uh, to do experiments. I, I ended up not doing the the lab work very well, so decided that that I wasn't helping anybody, and it was actually much better to to manage the lab and I was relatively late in my career when that happened so I, I think being a student or a postdoc or an early career researcher having a young family and trying to drive your establish yourself is, is one of the hardest things for men and women at the moment because it's so competitive. Thank you for your honesty brings up so many questions and I mean we've had some discussions before that as well with like having a family plus being in academia and then as you like you're having your own lab I can't imagine how time consuming all of this at the same time or if you even have some time for yourself at some points then <laughs> I can't even imagine <laughs> so how do you create this kind of work-life balance <laughs> Oh, I don't think there's any such thing. <laughs> um, no, that's a glib answer. I think I always think when they ask those questions, you, sh you should ask my family. Uh, I think one thing is you just can't have it all. I wanted to have kids, and I think that they've actually that's helped me in that I would have worked all the time. Otherwise, because it's all consuming, and I did. It's, it's difficult to leave because you think just one more thing, just one more, and but then equally, sort of sometimes your tasks expand to fit the time available. That's something I've been, you know been guilty of in the past but if you have to leave at five to get your kids then you are very efficient and I remember I'm mean, obviously um, my kids are teenagers now but at the time in my department nobody really had kids and one of my colleagues who's who had kids a couple of years before me and I remember our, our boss was not not very supportive and and I, I think we both found it quite hard we had very young kids we didn't really talk about it I certainly didn't take you know very much maternity leave not you know probably 16 weeks, which is not enough, I don't think. Um, and it was before you could take a year off. And I, I found it, it was it was something that was, oh, she doesn't really take her career seriously. But I had, you know, I thought some other role models, immunologists who I'd seen had kids and were super successful. And I think, well, okay, I just have to work in a different way. And now I've noticed that certainly if you are a woman who's who's got a family and people know about it, then I tend to attract, sort of, sort of, you know, at one time I had a completely female lab, which was 
not great because you need diversity. And at one point, I remember writing on one of my fellowship renewals that, you know, we'd had like 15 babies in the fellowship. And obviously not all me, but, you know, I had lots of people who had babies and, you know, come back. This has been successful. And I think, well, yeah, the women that I know who have go off doing, you know, have maternity leave and come back, they're, they're often, you know, they're really they're really driven, they're really organized. And, you know, just because you have a baby doesn't mean you're, you know, not a good scientist, because you were a good scientist before. So, you know, why wouldn't you be? I'd also argue when people say what's incompatible is that, you know, it's flexible. So, you know, science is is something that, you know, no one is going to say to you, you know, you've got to be in at nine o'clock in the morning, unless you've got a meeting, that's fine. But, you know, for a carol concert or thoughts day, or, you know, it's actually, compared to some of my friends who were in banking or law you know you have to be in court that's you know then then you have to be there but for as long as you you know your teaching is is, is relatively fixed but I think lab work is actually you know if we're, we're more flexible I noticed that I left I started obviously to leave to pick the kids up but then I'd work in the evening now you know my kids are older so I work later and then go home because they're that's when they need you know that's when they need the help or but I think it's it's having somebody who's supportive I, you know, I think as a boss, you know how hard your people work. It's not being in the lab you know, at, or at your desk all the time. You know, people are productive, being flexible, and, and it works for different people. Some people have, you know, sport they really love doing or, you know, they have, you know, other things, other caring responsibilities. That's fine. But science is self-driven. I don't think anybody's, you know, is coming to say to me, OK, you've only worked, you know, X hours or you you know you haven't applied for that grant you haven't applied haven't written that paper it's it's all it's the successful people are the people who are driving themselves and so I think that science is quite conducive to that you know most people probably work too much but um but then if you're doing something you love then it's a balance that's the balance so I would say yeah there's lots of negative aspects about work but you know ultimately we're paid to you know to think to be creative and to work with really inspiring people of all different ages which I think is actually quite rare and you know sometimes it's really exciting you know and you get you know you get a result if you're doing the experiment or someone comes to you and says you know look you know and they're super excited and that is amazing and I think actually you know does that happen in other jobs maybe it does but somebody told me recently that that one of the things that is celebrating the successes and I think that is really important lots of negative aspects of our job but you know there are even the small wins you know we should celebrate success and that's super important and I think that's something that that you know at every level we should be doing even if you finally got a Western to work or, you know, you've managed to find the right dilution for an antibody or you've got a grant or a paper accepted, you know, small things as well as big things is, is important. Yeah, that's so true. Especially like as PhD students, we try to find whatever is positive in a day and be like, yay, that worked. That was so good because otherwise it's just really hard to like keep on going. <laughs> like Michael and I are always like, yeah, you did this today. It was great. Even if it's a really small thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I think that, you know, those things, particularly sometimes a lot of a lot of, you know, experimental work is quite mundane. You're doing things again and again and again, or particularly when you're trying to develop a technique when it actually works and, you're, you know, it's great. So that's. That's really good. So we talked about the background and but one thing I mean we touched about maybe, but were there other challenges in your life as a woman you faced? Um I think one thing is that I've never been, you know, super confident. And so and 
you know, you work with lots of people who are very confident. I think it's something, I, you know, when I was a PhD student, the idea of giving a talk in public was the worst possible thing. And clearly, that's a huge part of my job right now. So I really feel for students who were very, you know, who, who were really nervous um, because that was something that was really, I think it, it, it gets better with age, um, obviously, because you get more confident, people know who you are. But I think that's something that was difficult. And, and being, you know, networking, I think it's always harder as a, as, you know, when it's a very male environment, you know, being the kind of only woman I think that's that's something that's still a struggle and now of course it is you know particularly at student and postdoc level then we are really and it's much more about gender balanced which is great but I think it's further up it's not and that's something that we're obviously really driven by so I think the challenge has been to to deal with imposter syndrome um, because you always sort of think god you know so somebody's going to discover and find out that I'm not great. But, you know, I think one, one thing that was, was, it, was really interesting was um, being in a meeting where someone who I thought was, she was really eminent and very, and actually quite, and she's, she's quite vocal and she always seemed super confident. And she said something that, and about, you know, having imposter syndrome, I was like, oh my word, you know, how... I can't imagine anything and then you realize that actually lots of people feel like that and um, it's not it's 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 not great and it's it's quite really relatively common in, in women but it's something that once you realize that other people feel like it's not just you then 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 that's good it's a help and one thing that then have helped I think is to have you know good networks so to have colleagues who you can express those feelings and you just think oh I'm not feeling confident or and they'll help you you know, prep for things or, you know, give you honest feedback because you don't want someone just to tell you you're great if things need working on. So having a good network of colleagues, and I think that's been really over the last five to 10 years and people have recognised that. And we certainly, you know, tried to do that for more more early career researchers at Imperial, particularly amongst our clinical colleagues. They've really, you know, having no female role or fewer female role models has, has, has been harder. And I think knowing that, yeah, actually, everyone feels tired. Everyone struggles with this work-life balance. It's it's not you're not alone, and feeling that you're not quite good enough. You know that's really common. And actually, you know it doesn't it doesn't cure anything. It doesn't change it. But at least knowing that you know you're not alone, I think that's been that's that's really important. And even you know as PhD students, that's a really hard it's a, it's a really hard thing to do. And there's always going to be a time where you think gosh I don't think I can do this but having the support of your colleagues or just to kind of get you through you know everyone feels like that everyone feels like it's just too hard but you just have to sort of take a break you know take sort of do something nice with your friends and then and then start again and I think just knowing that you're not alone that everybody feels the same way and can um, I just I just think it makes it slightly easier definitely yeah. <laughs> yeah I think we yeah. can both agree like definitely mm -hmm. makes it so much easier that was great advice for anyone even if you're not working in science yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. I think yeah. and that's the that's the thing and you know, people make assumptions about you because you're female um the amount of times that you know I've been with maybe a male postdoc and they thought they were the professor and not me you know even if there's an age difference then it's just you think I think that's less nowadays, you know, because there are, it's great now that, that you know, some male colleagues are taking paternity leave, you know, sort of shared leave. The expectation isn't that the woman will drop everything, you know, and I think, you know, your generation, that's going to be much more, more um, 
more, more dominant, you know, which is, is a good thing. Having good you know, female role models at every level is, is really important. Um, so I would, I would advise anyone to sort of kind of you know, do networking, join networking events and mentoring is I think having a having a mentor that, that really helps you is, 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 I think, really important. You know, it might not always be comfortable, but, you know, it's good to be pushed. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That was great. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Claire as much as we did and learned a bit more about the career of a scientist, being a mother in academia, as well as what it means having your own lab and being a PI, particularly what a week of a PI looks like. You will find links to her website and research in the show notes. And as always, we would really appreciate it if you could rate and subscribe to this podcast, as well as share it around you, so that we can reach and empower more people to elevate their lives. If you wish to support our work, please check out our link tree where you can find a link to donate. See you next week. <laughs>